Or even change what your your you know change your toe position and do the line hop or. Uh, like you had on Instagram yesterday where you had your toe jacked up and you're doing single leg squats and you're, and you re- reformatted what you wanted the foot to look like while you're pressing up. And that that's a completely different exercise. And people forget that, that the slightest variations in your limbs completely change what the exercise is, whether it's foot position, hand position, all that different stuff completely changes exercises because you're changing slack distances, you're changing uh, recruitment patterns are changing fascial patterns and all that. But I'm sitting there and I'm at, you know, whether I'm in Anaheim, California or Las Vegas or wherever, and there's 80 volleyball games going on at once and he plays every couple hours. So I'm walking around and I'm just watching all these kids with this horrible body language, you know, and I'm like, the most important thing is going on right now where you're standing there like you're ready to lose. And it becomes a game of no longer of, I can dominate you, but who's going to make the fewest mistakes and eke out a win? That was Chris Corfist, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle stimulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and K-Box, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of collecting of data collecting strips, the contact grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous. So check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you guys here. And we have an awesome show getting into the nuts and bolts of speed and sprint training today. Uh, and also the back end of the show is going to be loaded with a ton of really cool mind, body, uh, and confidence inducing techniques that I think you're going to find really helpful in working with your athletes to guide us. Our, our, our guest in this discussion is none other than Chris Corfist. Chris has been a high school track coach, uh, track and football coach for almost 30 years, has had a ton of all state athletes. He owns a slow guy speed school and has worked in that. Uh, from athletes who are world champions all the way down to middle school. Chris has consulted with professional sports teams in a number of organizations, and he also co-owns the Track Football Consortium 
and is a co-founder of Reflexive Performance Reset. Chris has been a four-time guest on the show and has talked about topics ranging from sprint training, as we're talking about today, uh, to DB Hammer and InnoSport, uh, neurology-based strength training and performance training, as well as being on alongside Cal Dietz recently, where he talked about French contrast, a French contrast adaptation to the triphasic training system. Chris is absolutely one of my favorite guys just to sit down and talk about athletics with. He's a holistic thinker and innovative thinker. And despite the fact that he has been on a couple of times already talking about uh, speed and sprint training, there is no shortage of sprint training knowledge when it comes to talking with Chris. Chris is constantly tweaking his program, optimizing his program, finding the latest means, and continually working towards the best possible model. And that's the reason that, honestly, we could have him on every year and talk about his program, and we would always be learning something new. And I always do when I learn to, or when I talk to Chris. So for the show today, the first half of the show, we're going to get into some recent developments that Chris has been uh, making or, or tweaks and optimizations in his own sprint training program. And a lot of these really within the last year of his program. And then on the second half of the show, we're really going to get into the mind-body experience. Uh, some of the things that Chris learned from Douglas Heal, some of the uh, body uh, posture and body language ideas and elements that Chris sees in his own observations of athletes. And to be honest, if you take and if you really take the two elements today, sprinting and getting faster and confidence and mastery of the mind and the body, man, you have such a boost to your not only athleticism, but just the quality of the experience too. So it's kind of two almost, it's almost like two different shows in some, in some way today, but they're both awesome. And I know you guys are really going to love this. I love talking to Chris and, and I think this show is really going to help a lot of coaches and athletes. So let's get on to episode 215 with coach Chris Corfus. Chris, man, it's good to have you back. I know, I think you have a story about you You are carless now, right? Aren't you riding like a kick bike around or you're getting a good hamstring workout? What, what's going on with that? Yeah, so we have three cars, which in most families is plenty. Uh, but my daughter has taken a car up to Minnesota and she usually works during the day. She's going to go to Iowa this fall and my son's going to be a junior, but he's had his license since December and he has volleyball every day. And then tournaments on the weekend, which I don't know is legal or not these, this day and age. But basically, I'm a 51-year-old person that doesn't have a car. I have a license, but most of my days and evenings, I am carless. So a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago, I saw Franz Bosch was playing around with a kick bike, and John Pryor told me about it. So I have become the kick bike master of Chicago. I am the middle-aged guy zooming around on a red kick bike. Uh, my record so far is 14 miles, which is pretty good on a kick bike. I did it in, uh, in 40 minutes, but I go grocery shopping, go pick up burritos, things like that, throw them in my backpack, and I kick bike around the western shub- suburbs of Chicago, which it may look easy, but kick biking is much harder than riding a bicycle. Uh, it's your one leg is pedaling through. So there's a ton of hamstring involved in the other leg. It's like in this isometric squat position. So you can get low enough to get your foot on the ground. So that's been my summer so far. Uh, kick biking around, <laughs> trying to go get food or go get whatever I need. And it's just awkward. Like I go to the wine shop, which is, isn't too far away, but I wear a backpack in my backpack. I got a bottle of wine and a burrito. It's like, this is kind of messed up. 
Usually you'd see like a 14 year old on something like that, but it's not often you see a 51 year old. How fast can you get? Do you, do you uh, take that thing through your timing gates and like how fast does that thing go? Oh, I well, I have these hot shots because sometimes I just go out for the exercise and there's all these trails nearby and uh, you got these hot shot bikers with all their gear on. And I always like to wear street clothes just to make them feel bad. And I'll zoom by the bikers. So I, I'm going to guess I can go. 14 16 miles an hour when i get it moving yeah that's uh that's not too bad for not motorized that's yeah but that's a that's a that's a, a short burst <laughs> to hold that for a while uh you get tired really fast yeah i was just gonna say this is maybe a good segue into some things that you've been you know some recent sprint ideas and human locomotion ideas but like the spiraling nature of things right like you got one leg that's has one job and the other leg has the other job and i know you've been talking about uh the lila and some asymmetrical stuff there so do you feel do you feel like you get a little like spiraling action or how long do you go on one leg before you switch to the other so you don't like start running in circles or, or do you care like does it not matter <laughs> what's well, the deal there? usually i do just because i get bored uh, i count to 10 so i do 10 pedals but then sometimes I'll go, all right, let's see how many I can do on this leg before my my isometric leg, the, the, the leg that's on the machine or bike, completely is burning and then I'll switch. So something like that. And I'm usually listening to a podcast while I'm doing that too. So I'm – because to me, there's nothing worse than doing aerobic work. I think it's just mind-numbing. So between going fast on a kick bike, listening to a podcast and – you know, worrying about crashing and which leg is burning more. That usually is enough to keep my mind off the fact that I'm kick biking and it doesn't get me too pissed at my children for taking all the cars and leaving me on a kick bike. <laughs> I think life is interesting. We don't have a car, you know, it's, uh, it definitely, uh, I feel like there's always something to be learned. I, I, yeah. uh, I was going to say, I, I will say as I've gotten older too, I, I definitely appreciate having a good aerobic system, but finding creative ways to do it, not just running and in yeah. one direction and all that type of thing. So speaking of that, I did your, uh, bear crawl push up thing this morning. Oh, nice. And that's hard. <laughs> it is, oh yeah. No, it's super hard. No, it gets, it gets tough. Like it's, it gets, it's like logarithmic, you know, like one, two, three, four, yeah, whatever. But then it seems just you're getting five, six, seven. I need to come up with a way to make that more like, cause otherwise everyone's going to get stuck at like eight, you know, or you can just rest a really long time. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, 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 I thought it would be easier than it actually was. <laughs> yeah. It's uh well for me, I, I would do like if I, it was me and someone else doing pushups and it was like, you could either do two competitions. One would be just how many pushups can you do? And two, let's do that crawl thing. I would do way better at the crawl thing. Cause I get to rest and I'm way better at, and it gives me a chance to like, you know, take a break and, and I'm a little more aerobic and all that elastic. So I, I think I just kind of a cheater way for me to make it look like I'm a little stronger in my upper body or something. I don't know. I like it. I feel like it's got to, I was thinking it's like you do get like the gait cycle in between every bilateral. So I was, yeah, I agree. I, I felt that same thing. I, you know, I think the crawling's huge because, you know, everyone's locked down and we're lucky because we have gyms in our basements, but still, you know, you start cranking off pushups just for something to do. And you can, that gets a little numbing after a while and you can feel the impact that, all right, great. I, I can crank off 150 push-ups, but I'm not walking as well, and my shoulder kind of hurts now. Yeah. What am What am I really doing here? Is it really important that I do that many push-ups, or is it more important that I feel pretty good after I do the exercise? Yeah, I was doing one of the last like traditional strength programs I'd done for a while. And ever since all the, like the lockdown stuff and the weight rooms have been a little more sparse, 
I didn't have a barbell for quite a while, but one of the last programs that I was doing was just easy strength, just two sets of five every day, basically, or three sets of three. And I was barbell benching every day and I haven't jacked. Yeah, I'm getting older, but I haven't, I haven't jacked my shoulder up that bad in a long time. Like my left shoulder was just dying after a while. And, and every time I do those crawls, like, it's just like, it's all good. You know, you it's just a way to mitigate, uh, the same stress and your back and your shoulder blades being pinned, you know, of course too. And I, I feel like a cool way to do it. This is just my mind, like where my mind goes a bit. I was body, but like, I don't know if you're doing hex bar deadlifts, but if you did a hex bar deadlift and did one rep and then walked like, I don't know, 10 meters and did two, or that's the next one. <laughs> I'll, I'll see where that goes the next time I'm in the gym. Well, Joe Holdsworth, when he did his presentation is to why are you deadlifting for athletic development? He made that point. He goes, you know what? If we were meant to pick something up heavy and stand there, if you follow the principles of evolution, when you pick up something heavy and you're standing there, you become a target. All of a sudden, some predator, that's an easy target because you're not moving. He goes, maybe you should pick something up heavy and take some steps. Maybe that's going to be something a little bit more athletic or more usable uh, and just in, in good feeling than just standing up with it. Yeah, I've always loved, I, I get away from it sometimes, but I always, every time I go back and do like weighted carries of some sort, I always feel better. Like it just, everything yeah. feels better. It's just, I always, I just like doing that. So that's been, uh, that's been, that's always a, good thing to do and, and hear. Uh, so I know you've been up to some, I mean, shoot, last time you were on the podcast, I think we were talking DB Hammer and more maybe training structure. I don't I know. I think, yeah, was that me and Dan on together? Yeah, or no, you and Cal was the last one, sorry. Or me and Cal, me and Cal. But I, I don't- forgot what we were talking about. Yeah, I don't, we, we weren't, <laughs> I would say I haven't had like a real sprint, you know, true sprint conversation with you in a while. And so I, I'd love to hear- what you've been up to the last few years that, cause I know you're always tweaking, always experimenting, always finding the new thing or, or updating, I should say, you're always updating to the next, that next level. And so what are some things that, that really, really updated, I would say in the last, let's say five years in regards of how oh. you see sprinting. Should I make it two? Should I, uh, I mean, yeah, you tell me, yeah, let's I think make it two I, years. I did a lot this year. Um, you know, because I have all the things to measure things and, I'm never happy with my results. You know, I could be getting great results and I'm still not going to be happy. Um, But I really started looking more at what's going on with foot and ankle stuff um, and changing shin angles, you know, something that a Darian Bard talks about. Um, I don't call it changing shin angles. I call it four foot rocker because that's, if you follow the ankle rocker where the the shin's coming forward and then at that last second when the four foot's about to load and you know, load the spring, if you want to call it, or load the lever. Um, that's really what we've been working on. So from a sprinter sense, um, I don't even know what I call them. We just call them, uh, I forgot what we call them, but there's a walk. And what we do is it's kind of uh, a lunge walk kind of thing, which you're not actually lunging down. You're, you're, you're basically locking your knees and trying to walk. And as that back leg comes forward, you want your shin to get as low to the ground as possible. Um, and we do it, we do it with a band and it's not so much that the band is causing resistance, like you're doing a, a pull, but it's more to hold your body weight. So you can become more comfortable in that position. And so you can find it, you can find where your foot gives out, you can find where everything's happening. And then to make it better, we'll do water bags and water bags over your head and, you know, different progressions on that. And, and that was, and then that progresses into a run and we call, I call it a bent need prime time because I think in that position you can, you know, 
I think we had this discussion during the early parts of lockdowns uh, where we talk about primetime runs and some people like them, some people don't, but you and I both agreed that there's a place for them somewhere. And I thought, well, if I can bend my knees and lock those knees and go through this different uh, cycle, I think it's going to be more appropriate to changing the lever and bringing up that leg, um, loading the ankle a little bit better and getting more hamstring work and getting a better, a more realistic toe off position where your foot is actually going to travel behind just like you do in a sprint. Whereas at the straight leg prime time, you just kind of bounce like a pencil. Um, and that became a staple of what I did in my short track season this year, where we did that drill every day and we progressed quite a bit and we, we were getting into those runs. But what was cool about it was we had some pretty dramatic changes in our running form. Um, I had two kids that ran under seven uh, in the 60. One kid ran six, eight, eight. And this is unspiked. We, we, we have a phenomenal, beautiful field house at Homewood Flossmoor High School probably the best 200 meter track, except our superintendent who was an athlete played in the NFL does not believe that we should tear up our track by wearing spikes. So we have to run everything in flats. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> that, that, that makes uh, it hard to do like a feed the cat style. Uh, that would, that would basically ruin feed the cats. Uh, wouldn't it? If you couldn't wear spikes, I, I think that's one of Tony's rules. Yeah. Um, so we do everything in flats. Um, and, but still six, eight, nine, 688 is smoking in flats in a 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the same kid who last week he ran 1055. Um, and we stayed with that drill throughout the lockdown. Now, during school time, I wasn't allowed to see any kids, state rule. So everything was by uh, Google Doc. And I put workouts up on a Google Doc and they would try and go find a place to do stuff. Uh, but he ran 1055 FAT, wind legal the other day. And that was a a basic staple of what we did. Um, and that was a great, great workout. Another thing that I just started doing since I went through the Adarian bar seminars with you, uh, every Monday at 11 o'clock, those were a lot of fun. Unfortunately, there are only 12 of us there, but you know, it's fun. It's fun to think through that stuff. Uh, I love those hamstring, uh, walks where you walk on your knee, you walk on your knees and you're trying to you crush your calf to your hamstring. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've gotten more out of that exercise than uh, that's a great exercise. What's interesting is people, you know, I can do a lot on Nord board and, and all this other stuff and you have them do that and they cramp up like nobody's business. And you're like, well, if your muscles cramping just from trying to squeeze there, you probably have a pretty dysfunctional hamstring going on there. Maybe we need to work on that. And then we progress that into, uh, we wear the lilac calf sleeves to do those just to get a feel for picking it up. But then we'll do, uh, we'll do mini hurdle runs wickets, um, through there with the focus of trying to bring that up. And then with a 1080, I'll pull you through faster. And now if your goal is to bring that up, you've got to make that movement even faster to get it down just to accentuate it. And we got a lot of bang for buck out of that as well. So, so mini hurdles with a cap to hamstring, like, like, uh, accentuation basically. Yes, you're trying to, I call it crush the grape. You know, you got a grape behind your knee, you want to crush it um, when you're running through. Uh, and that was a great, 
those are two great things that we did this spring that I've gotten a lot. Well, it's summertime. It's almost school. What am I talking about? <laughs> the last, uh, since Mar- since uh, February, uh, that we got a lot of bang for buck, and which, which was exciting because we had, we were going to have a really good track team this year. Yeah, no, it, it's in listening to you talk about it and the results you were getting, it's, it's, uh, it's sad to think about, I mean, you know, hopefully that chance will come around here, but it's sad to think of what if, especially with how good training was going. Yeah. Um, but next year, hopefully yeah. I, everyone comes back except for our hurdler. Uh, so I'll have my same team back and we'll have a whole year to train and, uh, go further into some stuff. Uh, we also did, uh, we were talking about, I don't know. Joel and I talked for an hour before we started the podcast. So, yeah. so yep. <laughs> we were talking about asym- asymmetries and running and things like that. And we did a lot of single leg calf sleeve stuff as well. Yeah. Um, just because, well, there's a million reasons why. Uh, but basically the idea is if I'm slowing down one leg, the other leg has to go faster. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you start looking at the angular velocity of things and, and how the physics behind it, it's uh it's a, monster of a a workout when you just put weights on one sleeve but i think our society is so concerned about being balanced and symmetrical and all that that nobody would ever think of just wearing one yeah i know you were saying oh sorry go ahead and then you can put it on a same arm same leg and now it's a huge core challenge that i have to regulate what's going on in my torso while these weights are flying around. And if you break apart in your torso somewhere, well, then you're going to fall or you're going to trip or something like that. So to me, that becomes a really effective core workout because really we want the core to do some kind of stabilization as these four limbs are trying to balance each other out. But we know that there is a symmetry between limbs that it can't. So really it's our core and spinal's function to regulate and modulate so we can move well. Yeah, I think that, I mean, compared to trying to do stuff in the, I mean, you can do a lot of stuff in the gym, but at the end of the day, if you can do something to sprinting itself to get what you need, that's where it's at. And I yeah. I was gonna say, I've, I had a good experience doing, uh, it was uh, like a pulser in my left hand and like a Lila on my right. I remember that configuration one day, I was like, this feels really good, but I probably would have felt a lot more core, like that's more balanced, right? I probably would have felt a lot right. more core challenge, if you will. If I would have gone that ipsilateral, uh, I mean, I could see that being a big, like oblique challenge to do that. Yeah. And spinal too, because really it's your paraspinals that are regulating what your hamstrings are doing. And when they're challenged, you know, you can either increase the ceiling of what your hamstrings can do because your body's going to feel safer and learn how to put out more power when you get rid of all the weights because they said, yeah, we're, we're good here. Go ahead, increase power. And there you go. You were, you were saying, Chris, that people were actually running faster with the sleeve on one leg. This is before we were talking on air, but, but that yeah, they were people, faster with sleeve on one leg. People don't know that you and I did an entire podcast before the podcast. Yeah, you got, yeah everyone missed the, the, <laughs> re, yeah, the real podcast. Yeah, I've had a lot of those. They're always really good. <laughs> yeah, um, there, I, I can't tell you what I actually did. Well, I'll tell you, I cheated. I, I, when I found out that kids would run faster fly 10s with the sleeve on one side, we would wear a sleeve on one side, and I did this at Montini, not at HF. Uh, we would put a 200-gram weight and pull socks up high uh, just because it helped if someone was really asymmetrical or you could put the weight in a certain position that you could get the foot to function better. That's what we did. 
Yeah, I, I like, yeah, I mean, the body, every time I watch people run now, I'm, I probably don't watch the same things that, that most people, like, I'm always watching, like, how is, the, how is the left hand doing something different than the right? What's the yeah. little, like, what are the little nuances? And then once I see that, I'm like, okay, now what is the foot doing that's different than the other side? I mean, I just, I don't know, it's like the more you have to see, the more you realize the body, one side's doing one job and one side's doing another. And you can get a lot more out of it by exploring that with people instead yeah. of just trying to make everything as, like, robot-like. You know, I mean, there's comes a point where it just, might be crazy and not helping you, you know, and injurious, but there's but also, that's why you measure things is yeah. because now, you know, all right, mm-hmm. this worked. That was a dumb idea. <laughs> and I, and I do that with my athletes all the time and say, Hey, let's try this. Maybe this will work. And the kids are like, you mean, I think I might be able to get faster just by doing this. Yeah. Let's try it and find out they're all in. And when it doesn't work, say, that is a stupid idea. Let's try something else. I'm all in. Yeah. Let's go coach. Yeah, just keep chipping away. I know that I I think I really bought into the asymmetry idea, and and again I do think there's a limit, but that's where you you do experiment and you see the quality of movement. But it was I was doing ten just ten yard dashes, and I decided to, and I was just like I was just pounding my head in the wall, stuck at a certain number, and then I just decided to try to intentionally make. Uh, I mean, I tried everything right, like, and I I'm so used to it, and then I just all of a sudden said I'm just going to make this one asymmetrical. I'm going to go long off my left, short off my right, and see what happens. And what do you know? I dropped a tenth just like that. And it felt super easy. I was like, yep. okay, I guess this is what my body wants to do right now. <laughs> you know, versus even um I think yeah, I, I like mini hurdles and wickets, but I think even sometimes too much of that stuff or too it just you know to to try to put the body into too much of a box sometimes versus letting it letting it do its thing. Uh, yeah. I, it, well, I that's just why I like to change them up. And you know, I think one thing that really helps and it can help change shin angles is you put little mats out in between. So, you know, well, you've seen my driveway. I've got all different kinds of mats and things like that laying around and I can change the height or the density and things like that. That's a huge variance because really your body's feeling for stiffness on the ground and the density of the ground and and what's going on. And we're just reemphasizing this great neural pattern down to our feet, which unfortunately for society is everyone's got shoes on and they've forgotten how to use their feet to run. Yeah. We live in an interesting times where with it, with ne- interesting surfaces, various different manufactured surfaces, manufactured things you put on your feet. Uh, I, yeah, I totally agree with that stuff. And I love that. I love the challenge with the variable surfaces. Cause it's like, that's a hundred times different than just doing calf raises or just chasing an ar- arbitrary stiffness. You know, it's like this full rounded proprioceptive effect. And yeah, I, I was feel like, I get so much out of that. I, even you know what I really love too is the you and Dan had it in one of the the that old that DVD you had the the want to get the you know those workouts <laughs> How to run and, faster yeah I, whatever the the one yeah I just had all the sample workouts and the one where you did like is like fly tens and then a bounding and then straight leg bounding I'm sure it'd be flex leg now right and then hurdle hops and then a single leg line hop for like thirty seconds and thirty drop seconds off. that's I, a classic oh love workout. that love that I, single that's been my jam like throwing those single leg line hops in there because i just think about the even just lateral there's so much going on just lateral and i know you've like changed the surfaces sometimes and things like that to try to give that feet more sensory load for the next the next round of work or high intensity yeah or or even change what your your you know change your toe position and do the line hop or uh, like you had on Instagram yesterday where you had your toe jacked up and you're doing single leg squats and you and you re- reformatted what you wanted the foot to look like while you're pressing up. And that that's, that's a completely different exercise. And people forget that, that the slightest variations in your limbs 
change, completely change what the exercise is, uh, whether it's foot position, hand position, all that different stuff completely changes exercises because you're changing slack distances, you're changing uh, recruitment patterns, you're changing fascial patterns and all that. Um, that was one thing, you know, with all this time off, I think I talked to Cal Dietz at least two or three times a day. I talked to Dan Fichter two or three times a day, and we're all coming up with all these different ideas about how to change things from a neural sense. How are we going to change this? How can we change that to make it more interesting? And, and Cal made a good point. I said, you know what a great exercise is? Go walk in the woods, but you can't look straight ahead. You've got to go tilt your head and look at all these different ways because you're tapping into your peripherals, tapping into your, you know, your hearing, your vestibular systems, and now you've got to navigate through all this different stuff. And, and really, that's what we're meant to do and what people and people can't do that anymore. <laughs> And, and do it barefoot and walk on like all the twigs and all the little differentiators yeah, too. That, that would time. be even better. It's just, you know, poison ivy or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I got plenty of that when I was uh, playing disc golf in Wisconsin lacrosse. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Um, the, I was going to say too, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the both aspects of it, like the, the proprioception and the stiffness. I think they work hand in hand. I'm not trying to yeah. downplay that at all by any means, but I just think I just like the very, and like Bruce Sexator talked about it last time he was on the podcast. He said like proprioceptive variability being such a huge thing. And it's like, so often we just want to just force is the only thing that can improve the whole year. But it's like, no, just change the environment a little bit. Let the body, give the body some space to work and, and give it some variety and give it some things to uh, work from a sensory perspective. And I just think that stuff's underrated. And yeah, the wedge stuff was fun. I, sometimes I don't even know, like, I'm just, I'm like, you. Yeah, I'm playing, I'm playing with a, you know, a variation. Does this feel good? Actually, spring did feel really good that next day. So I like that. I'll, I'll keep that in my back pocket and we'll, we'll keep rolling with it or trying again. But if it would have felt bad, then I would have felt bad that I put it on. Actually, I think I did post it after I had a good result the next day. I felt good. So, but uh, it's fun to play around with the different, that different stuff. Uh, I yeah, want Cal and I, Cal and I are making a, working on something where it kind of goes with RPR, but just really basic, simple exercises to make sure things are working. And when you get up from the exercise, you feel great and you don't need mm -hmm. weights or anything like that, but just basic movement things whether or not on the floor standing up, but just so when you get up, you feel like, wow, I move really well right now. I feel great. And I think people my age and your age, we're still into beating up our bodies, you know, bench pressing and all that stuff when really we should be doing exercises. So we feel great every day. I, I completely agree. Like, I, I mean, that's, that's like my MO now is after spending, you know, X amount of years doing a ton of like bilateral lifts, not as heavy as many people. I was never that strong of a weightlifter compared to my elasticity, but everything now is like, how did I mess myself up doing too much, you know, deadlift or something, you know, neurologically and athletically and elastic, you know, my stride length going down stuff. And how yeah. can I get that back? How can I feel good? And and I do like I, all I the only lift I do is just a little high handle hex bar deadlift just to feel some weight, but it's never that much. And everything else is just single leg and f try some stuff with the feet and let's yep. uh, let's see how we can get going on there. I, I want to dig in quickly. You mentioned those. I'll maybe categorize the three things too because I want to get to body language. Uh, I'm really excited to chat with you about that. But so if I had to summarize what you said, like you you did shin angle work, uh, flex leg bounding, and then. Uh, forgetting the third, I don't know. Asymmetrical, uh, asymmetrical work. Asymmetrical, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the shin drop one, and maybe I can get it if you have a video, I can throw it in the show notes. But so yeah. basically, like a band resisted uh, walk where you're trying to 
be mindful of the, the after the foot plants, the shin falling forward, essentially. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, so that back leg is going to come through and you're going to try and get that shin down as far as you can while you're trying to extend the hip up in the air. And then you're going to fall into that position. Do you do, I, does that play in with like work on resist? Like if someone was pulling a sled or on the 1080, can they, because I think weighted sleds, I was talking with Cameron Joss about this uh, back a few months ago, but the idea of weighted sleds um, helping at least some athletes or a lot possibly to, to self-organize these things on their own, you know, like being more squatted, letting the shin fall to move it. Do you have yes. any thoughts on that in conjunction with, with sleds or, or how to add that resistance well, element combined? I think what I do with my sleds um, as a primer, um, is we do, I actually use my run rocket for this. Um, we do, we call them shin down walks. So you're learning to drive and you're trying to get your shin down stay on the ball of your big toe, you know, inside arch and drive forward from that. Um, so we're going really slow learning that position. Um, and then we'll progress over to the 1080 and, you know, we go crazy on the 1080. Uh, in fact, one thing that I found that worked pretty good is I started pulling some kids out of the start just to get them to, to make anytime you speed up what's supposed to happen, um, you're going to learn faster sometimes. I mean, it's kind of weird that the dichotomy is we can learn to do things really well, either going really slow or, but from a brain sense, you can go really fast where it's like really chaotic and I've got to be perfect or else, you know, everything's going to blow up. Um, so that's one thing that I've done is uh, I like to pull people out of the start. Oh, interesting. Just so, just so you're really focusing on, can I, do I have time to get that shin down if that's really what I'm focusing on? If that's my one cue that I have that I'm working on uh, to make it happen faster. Yeah, it makes, like with a start too, there's so much going on. Like JB Marin said on this show, like the robots can run, but they can't accelerate yet. <laughs> there's just, yes. there's so much coordination going on. And so to get the shin to drop in coordination with everything else that has to happen. Yeah, it makes sense that I think I've seen a drill that you did where you had like, it's almost like a weight pulling the athlete like upwards at an angle. Like I, um, like it was like a band and it's pull, it's almost lifting them. Uh, but it's also, t- I, I'm trying to think of the setup. Yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just trying to de-weight you so you can find where the body goes. Cause if you have to worry about your body weight and gravity and, and, and crashing, uh, if I can make you feel a little safer by making you feel less, you can learn where to put things. Um, and I did that, I think that was hanging off a chin-up bar where I'm trying to get a girl not only to shoot her hips, but to kind of get out so she can step a little bit more behind her hip. Because what's the first thing you see in every girl's track meet? Their first step is horrible and it's way out in front and they almost come to a dead stop on their first on their first step. Um, so I'm trying to get them to project hips, get feet underneath and get your shin down so you can push. Yeah, I was. You, were, I remember you saying it works better for. Or I mean, I'm sure it works great for everybody, but female, young female athletes need that almost more than anything because they yeah. safety. You know, they feel like if they're trying this, there's so many. I don't want to fall my face alarms going off if they're not that physically strong yet too. And to me, that made really good sense for helping a, a young athlete uh, with those issues get better at the things you're trying to work on. Yeah, so they know where they're at. So they know it's right. And, uh, and again, a lot of times, a lot of people like to use resistance to make it like the strength training thing, but you can use resistance to find, to take body weight away so you can find positions and really work on your technique. Yeah, that's, it was, that was a little similar, not quite the same, but I, Darian had one day at the track, Adarian and I, he, I don't remember exactly his setup, but it was something with the idea of doing a, a resisted run. Like if, let's say I took a run rocket and I put it 
up like on a five meter platform or something. And now the angle is different and using that to facilitate feeling shin drop. And so I had an extra genie, which worked well. And I, I really, that was like, oh, that's a cool way to play around with this resistance is just take the extra genie and put it like three meters up, four meters up. And now you have to kind of push your shin down just to get going. You can't really do unless you want to pop straight up. <laughs> that was- I started getting really creative with my extra genie now too. I was hanging it up, but uh, this uh, a guy, he's not a kid anymore. Chris Mang, he ran at Notre Dame and he's got a girlfriend who's trying to make the Olympics if we ever have one again. Uh, she ran at Notre Dame and they came by for an assessment. And one, oh, here's another thing I've been doing. We've been doing diagonal runs where you keep your shoulders square to the finish line, but you'll start in lane eight and I'll set the distance. You end up in lane one. So let's say you're coming off sideways on your right foot and I want you to get more through to the inside of your foot. Um, we'll do those diagonal runs. Uh, and so I said, yeah, Jordan needs to do some diagonal runs. You know, you can add a water bag. Well, Chris, Christopher, his name's Christopher. I call him Chris. Christopher hooked up his Xer genie to the fence at this track, which I don't think anyone's been on in months. And, uh, he videotaped it all. And he sent me the first videotape where she had to run diagonally with the Xer genie on. And we all know you can't adjust or you can't really judge how heavy the extra genie is yeah yeah it's arbitrary kind of yeah yeah. and every extra genie is (laughs) different but her first set she was completely lost uh almost fell second set she started to figure out third set you can start to see her come through through that big toe fourth set not only did she come through that big toe but you can see the torque through her through her shank where she's getting that drive down and in to push forward three weeks later you watch her on film it's like completely changed and she dropped her fly 10 time i think she runs pretty fast but this day and age everyone complains about whose timer you know whatever she runs fast yeah. she's she improved and which was really cool to see you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah, I was at first when you were describing the exercise, I, I didn't quite get it. But as you were talking about, it's like, oh, I think this makes sense now. So basically, if I have an extra genie or any resisted, you know, device, I suppose extra genie would be the the easiest, honestly, based off just the the free angle. But so I'm, yeah, yeah. So starting in lane eight, and I'm running towards lane one on an angle, but the the resistance is kind of pulling me. It's pulling yeah. me at an angle, so I have to focus more on one set. Yeah, like the inside uh, edge, on one, one leg. Foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I on like one that. Leg. I like that. That's uh, it's I'll, kind of, I'll send you that video too. It's kind of like, um, like I, I'm really into with jumping. I'm really into like lateral depth jumps or depth jumps or just with like a little, even like the, you know, the Polish box ops, right? Like the lateral stuff that's important in jumping. I mean, I think that's a big reason that basketball players can, you know, can jump well or, or volleyball. Like there's always these lateral elements. It's never just linear every single time. And so right. it's cool to put that into sprinting a little bit. And that's, you know, that's kind of a realization I came to is we're so focused, especially in track and field on linear stuff that, that, that's all we train, but there's this 3d world that you can weight people down, pull them from, you know, overweight one side, run diagonally, all these different challenges that will improve your linear world. If you can convert it over, you know, go diagonally and convert that into linear. So I guess you kind of blow the doors off of everything's even, everything's straight. You know, see what you got, move things around. Put, uh, I, I know one thing that John Pryor did is he strung together, daisy chained a whole bunch of rubber bands and then put around two athletes and they ran straight 
for 100 yards while the rubber bands are pulling on each other. And to, they call it, uh, you know, positive running, but it forced positive running just be f- for fear of falling and getting sucked into the other rubber band. You had to run perfectly. And so, again, that's the, the idea that, you know, you have to make the body give a damn to be perfect. You know, here's a really <laughs> shitty situation and you're going to be perfect. It's kind of like when you go to dinner with your grandparents, you got to be on your best behavior. <laughs> same thing i like that analogy it really it makes sense you have to pull the body into something it's not comfortable with and just and still make it get you know get through the task i yeah. even um i would think i feel like that'd be an awesome if you did like uh you know four straights for warm-up like and you you did four 100s and you switched off every hundred and then you know then you started your workout after that i feel like that'd be a that'd be a pretty good one to get just the body out of its typical routine and and proprioceptive variability right and just you know, yeah that's just, uh, it's just, it's, yeah, you're right. As soon as you break out a sagittal plane land, there's so much. You you grow exponentially with all the variability and the options that you can present to your athletes. And now every workout is different, but yet you're going toward the same goal every time. I love it. Uh, quickly, all right, so I just want to touch on flex leg bounding really quick. And then I want to get into our, our the mind-body stuff. So I, because okay. I, I've, uh, yeah, like that was a huge realization for me. I don't even remember how long ago. It's just one of those things. It kind of fit with, I think this was one of the reasons squatty runs just caught on for me so well is because I was running over mini hurdles one day. And this was, I think, before I even met a dairy. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start running as tall as I possibly can. Like, let's call it a five tallness. And then I'm going to go the next one, like a four tallness, a little lower, and then a three, and then a two. And it was like somewhere between three and two, I felt super powerful. Just like glutes were kicking like really good. I was like, man, that feels kind of fast. So I've been running just, you know, only super tall this whole time. <laughs> and and I, I mean, obviously you need that. Sti- there is there is a level of tallness and stiffness that's obviously a really important part of it all. But if you force it, then you might get something different. So I, w- I kind of felt the same thing when I started doing the flex leg bounding compared to the just way more glute. And like you yeah. said, that back, that, that back part of it. And I think what's great about flex leg runs are, so mine aren't quite squatty, but we've done squatty runs over the mini hurdles. But uh, it, it it does that. It, it's you still have to maintain, you know, foot tracking. Like you can't you can't cross over when you're doing uh, a bent leg prime time or a flex knee prime time or whatever bound or whatever you want to call them. And I think that's something that's important is that once you start crossing over, you can get into that squatty run. You're in trouble. Um, you're losing a ton of energy return through your hips. Uh, and again, another reason why I like that bent knee prime time so much. Yeah. It's, uh, there's so much power coming through. Yeah, you're right. You can't, you can't really do that bent knee prime time and, and have crossover running. <laughs> right. It's, it's going to always be pretty lined up. <laughs> Although I'll find, I'll get my son to do it and see if I can get him to fall. That would make a good YouTube clip. Do you do, do overspeed like bound? Do you do mess with that at all? The flex leg bounding? Do you like overspeed or resist it or anything? Oh yeah, like <laughs> diagonal, diagonal. Is that is that a uh, I haven't done it diagonal, but uh, we do it with we do overspeed with um, with the exogen sleeves on. Got it. Because if you think about it, if you set the hurdles up at a certain distance, the frequency has to be X. But if I've weighted down that limb and you still have to make it through, I have to move that limb at a faster rate and still to make those timings so I don't crash or fall or trip. Yeah, I like I like that 
that's another almost outside the box completely thing like you know going 2d to 3d but then also it's like overspeed isn't just in a straight line it's also angular yeah what's it's angular yeah. there's a huge angular component to it which i think everyone blows off and i mm-hmm. there will be a paper coming out soon uh, that i'm not allowed to talk about by someone we all know <laughs> that will be pretty mind-blowing when it comes to that yeah i can't wait it's all i'm allowed to say um but i think he'll want to be on your show when it when it comes yeah. out yeah otherwise this uh this recording this tape will blow up in three seconds or something yeah <laughs> yeah okay uh so let's get to let's get to the body um the mind body all stuff. right the topic that the topic that we were supposed to talk about yeah yeah the one that and then the like the 10 minutes before the show i'm like hey let's just talk about these few sprint things and then we'll, we'll then we'll get to all that uh anyways all right so mind body uh what one of the things so i'll just uh kind of kick this off with well, I've I've shared this anecdote of yours plenty of times, but I'd love for you to tell it. But like I know I think this was a Douglas Heel thing, and you it was the I am the greatest, right? And and the vertical yeah. jumping. So can you tell me a little bit about that, the background, and then what happened with that experiment? So Douglas Heel of Be Activated used to come stay with me uh, when he ran his clinics here, which Joel went to one. And there's a funny story about Joel coming to it and breaking something at the place we were at. Remember you threw the ball? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I wish I'd go back in time. <laughs> it's one of my favorite again. stories. Yeah. But anyway, um, he would have people come by, and we had, you know, we'd have athletes come by. And the guy who came by was Jeff Salzenstein, who's actually a, a national champion tennis player, played on the circuit. Now he's a tennis coach, and he does all kinds of stuff online. He's got all kinds of videos for sale. And he wanted to get his vertical jump up because – According to tennis world, and I don't know anything about tennis, the better your vertical jump, the better serves you're going to have. Um, and so we were working on it. And so we, Douglas reset him and jumped. And he, I think he started at 28 or 27 and then went through the reset and he was up to 30. And then Douglas said, I think there's a lot more to it. I want you to say I'm the greatest 10 times. And so he said, I'm the greatest 10 times. And uh, went through and, you know, jumped he got higher and then douglas said say it again but this time yell it and so he did it went up higher and we kept going through this cycle and i think eventually we got to the point where he was jumping 34 inches seven inch increase in one one shot in one workout and so the idea was that you know these positive affirmations constantly drive your body into doing better so your your brain drives your body and your body drives your brain. I mean, there's a symbiotic relationship between the two. It's a, a yin and a yang. And I think, unfortunately, for most athletes, especially today, um, we're constantly bombarded by negative. Um, and Jeff wasn't, you know, Jeff, you know, whatever reason he was having, why he wasn't feeling great or whatever, you know, I think Douglas just tapped into that. So we started doing that a lot with our athletes. Like if someone's having a bad day, I instantly say, say I'm the greatest 10 times. The idea is you should probably say that to yourself all the time. And kind of had a funny thing happen today. I had a girl here, really good triple jumper. She triple jumped 40.6 going in this summer, which is a good high school triple jump. I think she said she was number three in the country. And we were doing vertical jumps, and she wants to make it onto my wall. You know, on my wall, I have all my vertical jumps and my fly tens. And she wanted to make it on for a vertical jump. And for girls, you got to do 28 to make it onto the wall. And she was at 27.6, 27.4. And I said, Sam, the greatest 10 times. 
and she said it once and then she got really nervous and looked around because there was other people there and she felt kind of embarrassed or whatever. And I said, no, it's 10 times. She did it three. And I said, well, that's, you got seven to go. And eventually she got it and she jumped 28, four. So she gets to go on the wall. But, uh, the idea that I think the way kids are today, they're afraid to say something like that. Like they think that there's something wrong with affirming that I'm the greatest uh, or even having the thought that I'm the greatest. Shouldn't we all be even? I said, no, you're competing. You need to have the mindset coming in that nobody is going to beat me when I come to this line. Nobody's going to beat me on the court. Nobody's going to beat me on the field. Uh, and I think that's what's happening to our athletes, our younger athletes today is you know, and then I told her, well, you need to go on Twitter and tell people this is what I did. And she goes, I don't want to do that. And I said, you do. You have to you have to have these affirmations that, hey, I'm not just some girl who's going along in life and I do a TikTok. You need to let people know that, hey, I jumped 40.6. You know, I'm here. Uh, and so, again, it's this idea, this idea that. We and I, and I hate to say this, but I think it's more so women, girl athletes than, than boy athletes. But the idea that to step out and be aggressive and be tough and step up to the line and go, you know, here I am, um, is something that we're missing. I have a good story about that. I had a girl. Her name is Tony Kokenis. She's a lawyer now in in Boston, but she was the four-year starter at Stanford point guard back when they were really good. And I trained her all throughout high school. Um, she goes to Stanford. She starts, they make the final four and she got beat up a little bit. There are some girls from Texas or Texas tech or some school down there that, or Baylor, I think it was Baylor that really roughed her up a little bit. And when she came home, we, we talked and you know, said, Hey, you know, that, that didn't look good. You got pushed around. You looked like a Hinsdale girl. You know, Hinsdale is where I, she goes to school, and it's a really nice neighborhood, you know, white-collar type thing. And I said, we got to stop that. You can't, we can't get into the Final Four and have that happen to you. So we kind of changed the gears a little bit. And I had her, I think you may have met him. He may have been at the B activator, but he's an MMA fighter, MMA trainer was doing it before it was popular. And I said, you're going to go train with him. You, you'll only see me once or twice a week, but you're going to go see him three days a week. And she went out there and she punched and she kicked and she learned to get tough. And sometimes exercise is for that. Like if you go out there and you're going to just kind of bat a ball around a little bit, there's never anything that's going to bring you to that next level of aggressiveness, like going out and punching and kicking things. Um, and to get into tumble a little bit. And what don't most girls do that are athletes? They don't get into that, that realm. So I think with some of the girl athletes that I've worked with, and that became a thing. And by the way, she went out there and in the next year, nobody pushed her around the entire year uh, for the rest of her career. Actually, uh, she actually got pretty tough and didn't take shit from anyone. Uh, and I, I like to think that that had a lot to do with the fact that she learned to be tough somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she had great basketball skills and stuff like that, but she didn't have that, that element that I think a lot of girl athletes miss, which is I can kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of that being cultural. I, I was talking with 
Rafe Kelly about that. He does uh, evolve, move, play and like human sociology and exercise. And and we've talked about that because I've had female athletes do. I, I got to the point in formal strength and conditioning where it's like, okay, uh, I can do a typical warm up with all the regular movement prep stuff, or we can do like this, these roughhousing games, you know? And yeah. they loved it. But I mean, but it was kind of split. You had about a third of the group that just the, the girls that would love it. And they were like, they were like more into it and more aggressive than the guys even. And then about a third are right down the middle. And then a third really didn't want to do any of that stuff, you know? And so you could really see these clear, uh, like delineations of, of that, and especially granted, these, these were swimmers and not like basketball or, or, but I think you would see the same thing regardless of the sport. You're going to see a lot of, uh, Rafe said, actually, I think the group that was the, the most aggressive that he had was, it was like, I think like a freshman gymnastics, female gymnastics or something like that. But it's like they have it in them. It's just oftentimes just repressed. and, and It's repressed and frowned upon. Yeah. And the last thing any girl wants to be called is a bitch. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't, my, my daughter's only four and I don't have, you know, I don't have that experience, but we, uh, we roughhouse, like I, I am intentional to really roughhouse with my children a lot and they love it. They're just, I mean, they're always jumping all over me and, you know, and, and I like that too, as like roughhousing and Rafe talks about this as a means, like that's how animals kind of talk to each other. They're always you yeah. know, playing and, and, you know, you have dogs, I'm sure you see that all the time. And it's, yeah, I roughhouse with my kids and my kids roughhouse <laughs> with the dogs and, yeah, it, it's. I think that's important, but and it's something that we get away from. Yeah, um, we repress everything. Yeah, I, and I to, to the um, to your point with the, I am the greatest, and I I noticed this. I remember. So I you I think you had told that story at the be activated, and then I went back and with my men's swim team we were doing Kaiser jumps or vertical jumps or something, and I was telling them I was telling them all about it, and because I had done it too. Like I remember, I remember it was like it was yesterday. I'm sitting there in the main weight room and I got a vertical jump mat and I had jumped like 29.2 or something. Some of those pretty poor at the time. And so and I remember there was people in the cardio room just kind of doing their thing on the elliptical and, you know, just, no one was really in the way, but there's some people around and I'm like, I'm going to try this. Like, and I didn't, I didn't do it 10 times. I just yelled it as loud as I could. Like literally everyone in probably half the building could absolutely hear me no, without question. And I, then I jumped and I felt like literally like I felt like my body was just energized, like just something different. I was a different person for that like second and I jumped 32 eight and it yep. was just like, and I was like, okay, yep, this is legit. And so I, then I had my men's swim team do it. And I noticed that I just had them, you know, I'm just like, you have to yell it as loud as you can. And you can just tell a lot of those guys were actually really, un- some of them owned it and, and their, their outputs would go up, but the, some of them, like you could tell they weren't, they didn't really believe it. Like there was a disconnect. Like there was, it's like something kept them. Cause you could tell if someone really believes it by how they say it, I feel like. Oh like, yeah. And and if they didn't believe it, they actually would do the same or be worse because it was almost like there was this cognitive dissonance. Like they don't really, but the people who did and who didn't care and just let it rip would get better. And so I always thought that was interesting, you know, and, and, that I, I think that probably means a lot too, and it's time to compete, especially time to compete at the highest level, and and you have to have this belief system of confidence. And yeah, I mean, look at look at the, look at the elite athletes; they have this elite mm-hmm. confidence. I mean, whether it's Usain Bolt or you know, he walks out there and he <laughs> owns it, mm-hmm. and you know, and if people judge him for that, he doesn't care because he still owns it. 
Oh yeah. He's, he's above all that. And you see that with a lot of really good athletes, which is I'm here to do a job. I'm going to do these things to get that job done. And I don't care what you think about me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. LeBron James or even Christian Coleman, the way he walks out there, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's always, it's, it's like that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's my, it's my track. This is it. That's great. You're over there, but you won't be there for long. I'll be ahead of you in a little bit. There was a, there was a situation last year where I had two athletes, uh, swim sprinters in the weight room. And I told one, and one of them was like, uh, who was a national champion. And the other one was kind of like, always looking to kind of break through. And one day I actually told the one of them, I was like, Hey, I, I was like, just what your job today is just to watch the guy who's the national champion. Just watch how he walks in the room, watch how he carries, carries himself, watch what he does, you know, just watch his posture. And it's like, and then be <laughs> impersonate him basically. Mimic uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can break down that thing into another thing where you have that national champion swimmer to, to motivate the guy who's trying to break through and say, Hey, this is what we did at York, at least. And this is where Joe Newton and Stan Reddle were masters. But we broke down all of our workouts and we had different splits for different things. And basically, you talked a kid into being a champion because you would say, hey, look what you ran today. This is the same thing that Donald Sage ran. And Donald Sage was a multiple time state champion. He ran the same thing. You ran the same thing he did at the same time. And so you're building these layers in mm -hmm. that, hey, look at this. Now look at him walk like him you've already done what he has done at this point we just got to go that one little bit and you're going to be there and so you can use that to build up these athletes and i think mimicking is probably a a phenomenal thing to do because body language kind of dictates everything oh i love it yeah I, I could imagine if you had a group like maybe you had a group of basketball players who wasn't very confident you're like i want you to walk like act like LeBron James for 10, walk out like you're LeBron James or, you know, something like that. I feel like that would have, and that's what we talked about that on uh, my podcast with Simon Capon. Uh, it was all about that. Like, it, I think he had a, uh, a bit about a tennis player. It's like, pretend like you're an adult. Like, what does he feel like? What is it like to be him? Put yourself in his body. And I, I think that that's, um, I was actually kind of playing around with that. One of my, with, uh, I think that at one point they had shut the tracks down at one point near me where I was in Berkeley. And so I was just running in the street and I was like, all right, what am I going to do running in the street? And I was just basically trying to be different, like people and have different, like, you know, just playing with just the different emotions of different times where I was successful in running. And, and that changes everything just as much as a technical cue in many situations, but it's yeah. almost from like a higher order of things than even, than even a technique. And uh, I think that, that it's that idea that made me write that article about body language and posture. Um, my son's a very good volleyball player, does really well. Um, and, and I go to all the, I go to as many tournaments as I can. Uh, my wife and I rotate who travels to wherever for whatever tournament. You know, I always said that I would never be a club parent. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm at, you know, whether I'm in Anaheim, California or Las Vegas or wherever, and there's 80 volleyball games going on at once. And he plays every couple hours. So I'm walking around and I'm just watching all these kids with this horrible body language, you know, and I'm like, the most important thing is going on right now where you're standing there like you're ready to lose. And it becomes a game of no longer of I can dominate you, but uh, who's not going to make enough, who's going to make the fewest mistakes and eke out a win? 
Uh, and so there was none of this body language that you would want to see in elite athletes walking around in these 80 courts of people. And if you think about who plays volleyball and they're good athletes and all that, but normally those are not your kids that are wrestling and playing football and stuff like that. So they're not used to that kind of, you know, bravado or body language. Um, they're nice kids. They're, you know, they're not supposed to get in fights and things like that. But what if you put that mindset into them where they could stand like they're champions or they're standing like they're ready to go fight someone? How much would that change the outcome of the game? Because if you look at volleyball scores, you could have a bad team and a good team, and somehow the score comes up to be 25 to 21. Nobody ever really dominates. Uh, but what if you change the posture of all these kids? And, and put that out on the court and just how the other team would perceive that posture like, oh, shit, we're going to get our ass kicked. Look at those guys. Just by the way they're standing. And even my own son, of course, he doesn't listen to anything I have to say, but I'm watching him serve. And he does like this little mini prayer every time he serves. And I said to him, Cole, you're dictating to yourself that I pray to God that I get this ball over the net. That, that should not be the mindset that you have going on. It's going to be, this thing's going to come at a thousand miles an hour. And no one's going to return it, you know? So that just, just with his mindset alone, it's like, I'm praying not to failure fail instead of I'm getting ready to dominate. Yeah. I, what, so what are some things I know we've talked about mirroring, mimicking imagery. Is there anything that like, if you're, you know, if you're the volleyball coach or, or you know, you're, I, what, I know I've seen you do stuff like throwing a ball and yelling or, I mean, there's probably a lot of things. Is it more one-on-one? -on -one? There are things you can do as a team, breathing? Like, what are some, what are some I, thoughts and ideas? I think one thing, and I know I don't want to sound like a sales pitch person, but one thing that's been really helpful is team breathing, where we do our RPR breathing, because I think that puts everyone on the same page. I mean, if you look at the All Blacks, what are they doing before a game? They're yelling and screaming, but they're also breathing together and doing that all together. And I think once you can get into that mental state where you've you've brought yourself there and you you're you're acting, you're living as a team, I think that's a good start. You know, one thing that Dan Fichter likes to do, and I starting to agree with it more is standing at attention. And when you're standing at attention, that's a dominant pose or a, a Superman pose. Any of those things where you're telegraphing the fact that you're a dominant person here, uh, that's one thing. Uh, I told Cole, of course, didn't listen. You know, when you guys are getting ready to play, stand with your fists. Make fists in your hands. Because what do you see? Someone coming at you and they've got fists. They're getting ready to fight. That puts instantly puts the opposing team in a situation where I can fight, flight, or freeze. What do I want to do? Most of the kids are going to say, I don't think I want to fight today. And so just by telegraphing or, or showing that body language, you are putting the other team on a defensive. Now, with this day and age with phones and all that, you should have a highlight reel going. I think you should have your own highlight reel going, and I think you should find players that you want to mimic so we can get into that mimicking phase where hopefully that carries over. Yeah, I like the, I like the highlight reel, like the visual. One thing that was interesting that happened to me, uh, I was uh, at the Olympic Training Center in uh, Colorado Springs this past year, and there's this thing called the incline. It's Manitou Springs. It's like 2,000 feet vertical climb, and it took me like 43 minutes to do, and I was just absolutely dying. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't have my aerobic engine was not very good when I, I was just one of those things. I, I mean, I do stuff like the more on will, like I've done a Spartan race on will and a 5k on will and I made it, but this was a different animal and I got to the top finally. And there was a guy who was, he had his headphones in and he was like, you know, he was really going up the hill and, and he got to the top and he actually, I started talking to him a little bit and he was um, listening to, um, I don't remember why I started doing this. But I used to like listen to like motivational, like one hour motivation uh, while you're working out. And some athletes love it. Some athletes don't. Um, but he was listening. It was called like I am 13. If you YouTube, it's like I am 13. And it's just like I am strong. I am powerful. I am, you know, I am this. And he's listening to it as he goes up and he's got just different things. And I always thought that was that was interesting. I, 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 my wife, actually, I played it to my wife. And she noted that the guy, when the guy is saying it, like he believes it, like you can tell there's not an ounce of doubt in there. And so I, I just, yeah, I think it's all, it's all interesting stuff. I, I was going to say, tell me more about the the team breathing. Cause I, I, that's an interesting thing with the, the Haka. Cause I, I mean, most people know it, but I never really thought they about the idea that they're breathing together too. Uh, well, kind of the idea between, well, for us in RPR, it's about taking you into a parasympathetic state. Um, and we're meant to be social animals. So if we all do that together, which is the most basic thing we can do is to breathe. If we can go down to the very basics and breathe together at a fundamental state, we're all going to be at the same place, which for us getting ready to practice is, you know, bringing it down, being parasympathetic, um, getting ready to perform or what we call performance breaths. And what's kind of crazy is with my football team, when we started doing it, you know, we did it at 5.30 in the morning or 5.45 in the morning because that's the only time we could get the field house. You could feel the energy in the room drop. You know, what? and, and now kids who are, might be screwing around or doing something in the back, everyone was together for that five minutes at a very basic level. And so I think when you move it into the all blacks with the haika and all that, the next step is the yell, right? And so really from a recruitment pattern, after you you have your diaphragm going, you're going to engage your psoas for hip flexion, all that, but diaphragm and psoas actually share a similar part, the same part in the brain, and they're connected together. And so we tied in yelling with basic movements because we'd do a belly breath and then yell so we can engage diaphragm and maybe psoas when we're throwing balls or doing something really basic where we're doing one set of one type stuff, you know, where you've only got one medicine ball, you can throw it at that one time. But we're trying to get into that fundamental movement concept and performance state at its very basic level. And what's one thing we aren't allowed to do anymore? You can't yell and scream. (laughs) But it's something that we're meant to do. Oh, 100%. And, and we become repressed. Um, so I think when Douglas was here, and Douglas used to do a lot of emotional work, that was one thing that, you know, I'm upstairs and he's downstairs in my basement working with people. You would hear people just randomly start <laughs> screaming, and it's like, wow, that's what's going on down there. And then you would ask me, he said, yeah, they had all this repression and they couldn't get to where they needed to be because they're holding everything in. And sometimes just by yelling, you can let it go. I mean, if you think about animals, what, what's the first thing they do? Like you see a gazelle get chased by a cheetah and they survive. They go behind a tree and they go through this huge tremor reaction where they shake everything off. Um, when dogs, you know, you've seen my dogs when they wrestle and someone gets their butt kicked or they do something stupid. What's the first thing they do? They stand up and they shake. It's almost like they're 
shaking off whatever just happened. And then they go, I get back to life. What do we do? Someone takes a picture of it on YouTube, puts it on there, and we're humiliated for the next however many years because it's floating around out in the uh, Instagram world. Yeah, I, I completely agree about the yelling thing. I I jokingly put that, kind of not jokingly, it, I think it might have came off as a joke, but one of my Instagram posts on things to do between running. and But I one of my, I remember I used to, um, me and my buddy Paul Cater went on a trail run in Salinas, California, like four years ago. And we just kind of went to a spot where there's like not really anybody and you know, maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, but just took turns basically like yelling at the sky. And it's like, that feels really good. <laughs> Why don't we yeah. do this more? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, it's built into us as humans, I think to, we're, yeah, like you said, we're just taught to be like quiet and nice and not appear angry. Like you wouldn't want to yell. Like, you know, I mean, and there's difference, you know, between just yelling and being, you know, the ang- angry, but uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it's really important and very beneficial. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, we had sprinters back when I was at York and nobody, we were, you know, way before RPR. And I would have guys that would go to get on the line, you know, they're getting ready, you know, go, everyone's going through their thing. And my guy was, you know, pounding himself in the stomach and yelling and everyone would be freaked out. So not only was he putting himself in a performance state and tying it all together, but he was freaking everyone else out around and uh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I think it was Tony telling that story or something like that, uh, the holler about, or someone was telling that, how, of your sprinter doing that and how it, yeah. it, it impacted everyone else. So. Yeah, it freaked out, the, freaked out all the other lanes. And they're like, <laughs> they spent more time looking to see what he was going to do next rather than, hey, well, I got to get set and go, oh, sh- what's he doing? Oh, that's over now. Too bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. I mean, it's, it, I think it gives us all stuff to observe too. If you get a line of sprinters or a team coming out, everything. So, uh, well, really good, good talking to you, Chris, man. I know we didn't spend as long on the body languages, I think, but we covered, <laughs> I think we covered it really well. And I love talking about the sprint stuff. So it was a yeah. really great show. It was really good talking to you today. No, thanks. Thanks. It's always nice to be on Joel. All right, that is it for another show. It's always good to sit down and have a talk on speed training. As always, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you all listening. If you enjoyed this show, you could help me out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you are tuning in on. I would totally appreciate that. All right, before we finish this one off, I wanted to give one last shout out to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. They have been with us from just about square one on this podcast. So we're truly thankful for them. You can support them by heading to their blog, their online store. They're going to get you the best of in each category of sports technology. If you're looking for timing systems, uh, bar speed monitors, force plates, uh, check it out what they have to offer. All right, that's it for this show. We'll see you guys next week.